I'm Mark McNeely, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2018 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Our program features Barry Fisher, a veteran soil health expert and regional team leader with Indiana's NRCS office. This presentation, titled Regenerating No-Till Soils After a Season of Saturated Soil, is brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they are released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Montag Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto steer carts. Montag's Precision Fertilizer Placement Solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. A major supporter of agronomic education, Montag is a title sponsor of each of our four annual ag events, and their sponsorship of this podcast allows us to share meaningful knowledge with you via audio as well. Visit their website today at montagmanufacturing.com, that's montagmfg.com, or call 712 712- 852-4572. Today, Barry Fisher's discussion will focus on strategies no-tillers can implement to regenerate soil health after experiencing saturated spring soil conditions. When faced with soils that have lost micro and macropores due to excessive moisture and resultant compaction, Barry suggests, when in doubt, plant, a reference to adding cover crops. Let's join Barry as he discusses the advantages of keeping year-round living roots in your soils. So unfortunately, as we went for a drive, a very, very high percent of these fields that were inundated had really poor crops. Out of sheer frustration, I think, as much as anything, this was, this was what we did, you know, and you know, a lot of folks just went, you know, when in doubt, tillage is the overall, the fixer, you know, that's what we've grown up with, that's what we've been told from little on, and that's what, you know, our grandparents did, that's how we fixed things. So when in doubt, plow was, was the solution. We've got to change the mindset of not just a few farmers, we've got to have the majority of farmers to understand that when in doubt, plant get back to nature, get a growing root out there, get something established on that ground after a really sad year like this where we didn't have much biology, much roots even proliferating through the soil profile. If we don't immediately try to get something growing, then I'm just gonna tell you that next year could possibly even be worse because very few crops do very well with the kind of biological destruction the kind of weather we had this year under those degraded soil conditions, they won't rebound very well, okay? So when in doubt, plant. If we're gonna fix this, we've kinda gotta go back and just look at all the processes that were disrupted by an event like we had. And as we look at, most of us know the nitrogen cycle and we see what happens, especially in a degraded soil condition that has poor, poor space has uh, poor biological diversity and poor uh, life in general in the soil, we immediately get anaerobic conditions. 
and anaerobic conditions immediately, it does not take very long, and most people don't realize to the extent that denitrification takes soil out of your system. It not only takes what you applied that got to nitrate form, it takes what the soil was getting ready to apply to provide to your crop and takes it out of the equation and it goes off as gas. If it doesn't go off as gas, if it makes it to the nitrate form, which it does that very quickly once the soil temperatures get to 65 and 70 and 80 degrees, it happens very rapidly, it gets to nitrate, then in this amount of water, it leaches fast. So if we've got drainage tile, if we've got drainage systems, or even if we've got sandy or whatever, if water can get down and get away, it's gonna take all the nitrate with it in this kind of an environment. So you've got denitrification, you've got leaching, you've got some runoff happening, but the bottom line is most of the available nitrogen or the applied nitrogen is gone in this situation. That's important to your crop, that's gonna hurt your crop, but it's also, keep in mind, that part of the nitrogen that was in the soil was in the form a lot of times of protein and compounds that the organisms in the soil needed to flourish. So if that's gone, it's gone from them as well. Your livestock, it's like you've, you took all protein away from your cattle and you were feeding them nothing but air and water, and maybe not even much air. They wouldn't last long and they wouldn't look very good, okay? So that's the situation we've got to start thinking about what we've got to fix. So the soil biology now has been terribly disrupted by this. We've lost earthworms. We've lost the arthropods that help us aerate the soil and create pore space and cycle nutrients and all those things. We've got the microbial organisms that have completely changed. We've gone from aerobic bacteria to anaerobic bacteria. We've lost a lot of our mycorrhizal fungi. They can't take total flooded conditions and total absence of a growing root because the fungi, you know, they can't photosynthesize themselves. That's why they associate with crop roots and cover crop roots and plant roots. They need those sugars to survive from the plant roots and in return, they deliver water and nutrients back to the crop. The outward result that we see is now we've got major compaction, major increase in bulk density of the soil. So the pore space even got worse, okay? There's less air, there's less water available holding capacity once it finally does dry out. We've totally lost the aggregate stability that we need to regain getting air and water and, and getting processes back in the soil. Aggregate stability, I think, is one of the most important things to understand as a farmer to start regenerating. Bianca Mobius Clune, our new soil health division director, I liked her terminology that she said, soil aggregates is like a house. All the interesting stuff happens where there's empty space, really. But the same thing holds true in the soil. There's less movement, there's less air, there's less capacity for those, those organisms to do their thing. And so we've got to focus on aggregate stability and rebuilding soil aggregates if we're gonna do this. Okay, remember the principles. So at this juncture, where are you gonna start? What's your first step? At this point, minimizing disturbance, I don't know that we can even talk about that. You may have gullies and everything else. You may have to do a little disturbance to even get to square one. Your very first place to focus is right here. We've got to get something living. We've got to get a living root there immediately. And if we can, get a diverse mix of those roots, if at all possible. That's step one. We have to start there in the rebound from this situation that we're in. 
So we're going to look at real quick at the processes to get the biology, to get this situation regenerated. And the first thing I've got noticed, people that know me knows I would hate to have this term reduced tillage in my vocabulary. I tend to talk about zero tillage and never tillage. But the reality is some of these fields, you may have to do something just to get out there. I understand that. But your immediate next step is you've got to increase biomass and rooting. You've got to have that as your top priority. You've got to strive for higher diversity. And you've got to, from that point forward, absolutely keep the soil covered. Okay, so you're back to those principles that we talked about. Okay, so you've got to start there. And if you start there, then your first thing that needs to happen is we've got to, to whatever extent, get the biology back in the soil. We have to make it alive again. We have to encourage life in that soil. Certainly if you're on rolling ground or whatever and decreased erosion. And I was in uh, southwest, southeast Michigan for a field day. Les was there and stuff. And this landscape is really flat out through there. And you ask the crowd, do y'all have a big erosion problem? And almost to a one, nah, we, we, this is flat landscape. We don't have erosion here. And I would suggest that probably me and George, and we've probably associated erosion with sloping runoff and, and highly erodible land and all this. I would suggest that on extremely flat landscapes, erosion is possibly more of a problem. And you're, gonna, you're looking at it and you say, okay, he's lost it now. Your first erosion that happens on a bare soil, if it's flat, if we don't have aggregate stability and we get a hard rain, the first erosion that happens is where? Straight down. And where do those soil particles that are broken into little miniature pieces, where do those particles go? Straight down, doing what? Filling up all the rooms in the house, okay? Once the rooms in the house are completely filled, not much interesting things are gonna happen there anymore, right? So don't think you don't have erosion, it's just not leaving the field, it's just going to places in the field that aren't gonna do you any good, okay? So your first erosion is straight down. So don't think that, well, I don't have to worry about that. You do have to worry about that possibly more. Once the biology returns, we start rebuilding aggregates. Soil organic matter can start to come back, but it is absolutely critical that you understand that the first place you've got to build organic matter in a regenerative system is right at the very, very surface. Because you have to allow the processes to regenerate and start. And unless you get air and water movement through that surface, you can't start to build the biology where it needs to be built. The function of the soil won't rebuild. So that's why I'm a little critical on regenerating. Shallow tillage isn't just okay because you're leaving most of your residue on the surface. You've got to get the surface covered so that the UV rays don't destroy that organic matter right at the very surface. It's got to be covered, but you've got to get the biology and let the aggregate stability happen at the very surface. Okay, at the very surface. I mean, I'm talking millimeters surface so that air and water can freely move through there. That's the only way that you can continue the stair step of building water or building aggregate stability. When you get that, you start getting now some better water holding capacity. Infiltration increases at this point. Erosion from wind and water starts reducing. Things start improving 
and building on themselves, once you start here, now you're going to be able to build organic matter. I have a lot of farmers that tell me, said, man, I've been at this a long time, and I, my organic matter levels have never changed. And I get to asking them, what is your exact process? Well, I'm doing a little light tillage every other year for my corn or something like that. They never got past this and that, so they're never going to get this. Okay, if you can't let the surface start working for you and functioning, then you'll never get to build organic matter down the way. And that's where cover crops, keeping that covered, that surface covered, and why zero tillage should be your ultimate goal. You'll all, you're not all get there in the beginning, but that's where cover crops can offset some of that and help you get over the hump on that. So once we keep building on this, now all of a sudden we've got less energy needs, we get more water efficiency, more nutrient efficiency, we're going to start building more biomass in our crops, more organisms are helping us get through extreme weather events, less disease, less diversity, field conditions are far more resilient to weather conditions, you're getting consistent yields, crop yields increase, and at the very highest end, you've got to take it all the way to the global picture, we've got to have this in order to feed this entire planet that we're going to have a big responsibility for to get our crops to the places that need it. We'll rejoin Barry in a moment, but I wanted to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting our No-Till Farmer podcast series. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist, offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto steer carts. Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Major supporter of agronomic education, Montag is a title sponsor of each of our four annual ag events, and their sponsorship of this podcast allows us to share meaningful knowledge with you via audio as well. Visit their website today at www.montagmanufacturing.com. That's Montag MFG. Or call 712-852-4572. We've heard from Barry about the importance of maintaining a zero disturbance environment when trying to regenerate soil health. Now he'll continue with some basics of cover crop planting, the timing of seeding, and some of the beneficial combinations of common species that will maximize your yields for both corn and soybeans. There will probably be some folks talking about some of these new soil health tests that you can send stuff off. I'm just going to tell you, if you send this soil to a lab, it won't probably show up as having mark, remarkable improved soil aggregate stability. But because the process we use in a lab to measure soil aggregate stability, we shake it, we dry it, we do some grinding, we run it, and then we dip it in water, and it's a long process. So. It takes a lot of years to show major aggregate stability improvement from a lab test, although those are important. We should all be considering doing those. What I'm suggesting is function of the soil will start happening very quickly in your fields. In this particular case, the soybeans that came in after here on the fields where they had cereal rye, about four bushels per acre better the very first year. It's all about air and water. What do soybean roots need? They need oxygen. That rhizobium needs oxygen. So it had a little more oxygen available to it. Probably had better weed control. 
maybe fewer or less soybean cysts. We don't know. There's a lot of compounding things that benefit from here. But in one year, you can make major improvement. The key is, if you never start, you'll never get to see the benefits. You have to start sometime. Okay, you got to start. And cover is all, cover's the key. Seldom is no cover a good thing. When you get cover and you start getting this function back in the soil, cover crops have the ability to fix and hold nitrogen, provide carbs and protein through the root exudates. That stuff that comes out of the roots, carbs, protein, that is what feeds the life in the soil. That's how nature did it, and God, what a brilliant system. If we can get it more diverse, that gets our diversity thing. Mixes are good. You don't have to go crazy on mixes, though. For someone just trying to get started, getting something that's manageable is still fine. Start with something you can manage, you can comfort. Start somewhere. I'm just going to suggest this is a pretty easy deal. This is oats and radish. And if you can't manage this in the spring, this is really easy to manage, but it, it still helped build back that life in the soil. It provided something going into the winter and early spring that helped provide something, some life for the soil. Here's what it needed. It still helped us capture that free sunlight energy. You'll hear it time and time again. If we can capture and make it and utilize that free sunlight energy, the free CO2 that people want out of the atmosphere anyway, if we convert that back to carbon and put it in the soil, that's good for us. Why would we fight that concept? You know, that's a good thing. Carbon in the soil is really good for us as producers. And then we get the biodiversity. That living root is magical. The amount of microbial activity that happens along that rhizosphere is unbelievable. And we should all thank Jill Clapperton for years ago introducing us to the understanding of how important the rhizosphere is and the activity that happens right there. It starts improving all of these physical properties that we're after. It's all about providing food for the livestock that lives down here. We have to get the continuous living root. Protein is extremely important and as you look at some of these new soil health tests and assessments that are out there, a lot of them will give you an idea what's happening with soil life, but soil protein too. There's a soil protein test. That's one of your very first indicators that you're going in the right direction. If the rest of the test is not looking good to you, you're saying, my God, I've done all this stuff and I, I'm not seeing any results for this. Look at the protein, if that's one of them, or look at respiration. Respiration means there's things living there and there's good respiration. But look at the protein and uh, you know, the phospholipid acid test is a good one to start looking at what's happening to the protein levels in my soil, because that ultimately is an indicator that your soil's going in the right direction. And that's a real early indicator, I think. If we're putting the plan together, though, we've got to think strategically, because we still have to raise a crop. So I'm going to go real quick here in, in the last couple minutes and talk about just a logical method. Okay, so this all sounds really good, Fisher. You always preach up here to us. How do I start? I'm going, to, I'm going to try to, just for a corn bean farmer, talk about the strategy to get started. We need to understand as we're selecting our cover crops or selecting our crop rotation, we need to understand where this balance is in the soil, this balanced carbon to nitrogen ratio. And so we got to select our 
species that complement the needs of our next crop. If our next crop is corn and it really needs nitrogen, do we want a carbon to nitrogen ratio in the soil or do we want to plant something that creates a carbon nitrogen ratio that's high in carbon, low in carbon? A little lower in carbon so that it frees up nitrogen to that crop. So we think of covers ahead of a corn crop in this part of the world. Something that's gonna not tie up nitrogen quite as bad. Ahead of soybeans, up here's fine. So if we think about this, let's just think logically. After we've gone through last year and we're wanting to think ahead how we're gonna start, what might I plant this coming fall if I haven't already planted a cover crop? What should I be thinking about planting this fall? If you're gonna think about what you're gonna plant in the way of a cover crop this fall, you've gotta think about what's the cash crop gonna be the next year. Okay, so if the cash crop next year is corn, we might look to one of those easy spring management, the winter kill, the oats radish mix, can be something that you would plant after soybeans where you know corn's gonna be the next crop. You could plant that. Think high protein. If you really need cover, try to optimize the thing, then you could put together a more complex mix. But think high protein, high nitrogen ahead of your next crop. You're gonna need some peas, some vetch, some clover in that mix. Maybe instead of cereal rye, maybe something like annual rye grass. Or if it's cereal rye, make cereal rye a little lower percent of the mix and get it killed a little earlier, okay? Something like that. Think high protein ahead of a corn crop. Ahead of soybeans, the beauty is, this is kind of, to me, the best place to start the system, is because soybeans can be planted into cereal rye. The beauty of cereal rye is you can plant it clear up into November, most places, and still get a crop. Yes, it's better to get it earlier, but you can plant cereal rye. It's very resilient to cold weather, and you can get it started, and the beauty is it produces a lot of carbon for that soil, a lot of carbohydrates for the organisms in the soil very fast. Okay, cereal rye, it's a cereal, but it's putting a lot of those good exudates in the soil very fast, and even if it's high carbon, this soybean field, which is about shoulder high, was planted into about shoulder high cereal rye. You just can't see it now, but it was planted into there, and soybeans love being planted into that high carbon environment of cereal rye. They love it. They benefit from the weed control. They benefit from the late season, little bit of release that you'll get of protein and nitrogen. They benefit from uh, reduced uh, soybean cysts and some other things, better weed control, better moisture retention back at pod fill the next year. A lot of complementary things happen when you plant soybeans into cereal rye. It's a really nice complementary mix. If we start thinking in this terminology that we're going to keep the soil alive and we're going to do whatever we can to make it a living ecosystem, and we add this management to every decision we make on the farm, then we will be ready the next time we get one of these situations happen to us from the weather standpoint. We can absolutely change how our soil's resilience to these events. So we want to start that process as soon as we can. Fortunately for us, in this day and age, technology is a wonderful thing. We have tremendous resources available to you. We have that Unlock the Secret Soil campaign. If you just Google search NRCS Soil Health, 
you'll come to about this page where you have all kinds of these things. Thanks again to Barry Fisher. He's given us some basic cover crop combinations to consider, whether you're planting these early in season or later after harvest, as well as considerations for planting high protein and high nitrogen species ahead of either corn or soybeans. If you would like to hear more podcasts about plant and soil health and successful strategies for no-tilling, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping to make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at mmcneely, that's M-M-C-N-E-E-L-Y, at lessitermedia.com, or give me a call at 262-777-2404. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or at the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up with the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider Daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tillery newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Barry Fisher, Montag Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Mark McNeely. Thank you for listening.